the optimal life. Not your granddaddy's sales training. <laughs> What's happening, Alan? How are you? I'm good, Nate. How are you? Good. Doing great. Thanks for having me. This is this is cool. Well, thanks for being here. So let's start with that. What exactly does that mean? Not your granddaddy's sales training. Well, it means like uh, what 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 image pops in your head when you hear salesperson? Right. The image that pops in my head is the guy that won't leave me alone, who I want nothing to do with. Exactly. And that's your that's your granddaddy sales training right there. That's the training that's been around for decades, uh, which has turned the entire world against salespeople. Nobody wants to talk to a salesperson. Nobody wants to be a salesperson. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way, especially since the Internet, when the customer became in charge rather than the sales rep. Um, you need to have a much uh, a, an approach where you're helping and not selling. And that's that's kind of uh, why I start with that. Like, this is not your typical sales training that everyone hates, and, and you're not going to become the salesperson that nobody wants to meet with. Okay, so what separates your style from that old, outdated style? What are some of the things that you like to focus on? Well, the the, the foundation of the book is 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 really changing your mindset because the mindset from a salesperson and obviously, you know, uh, is to sell. You want to, you want to get out there and you want to sell at all costs. And like I, I, I briefly mentioned prior to the, uh, prior to the internet, the sales, the sales rep was always in charge. The sales rep always had the information, the consumer, you know, only could read a magazine or watch an ad on TV or, or maybe an informational television show, or whatever. But if they need to go buy a car, they had to succumb themselves to that awful, car salesman stuff because they had no information right mm -hmm. now the customer's in charge the customer i have this in my book i call it they call every customer that you meet with for the most part they collect informational ammunition to protect themselves from the salesperson the sales they don't want the salesperson to rip them off they want to be prepared to 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 protect themselves so they go online the, the last study i saw 94% of all purchases begin with research online people go online first and if you think that that's not happening as a sales rep you're going to you're going to be a pretty bad salesperson so you have to become the anti salesperson you have to become the person that they're not expecting the person that's going to sit there and and solve their problem and not sell their product and that's what and that's what you have to do. Lead with the problem that you solve, not your features and benefits. Where do most salespeople these days struggle? Well, with that very concept. So, for example, this is a this is this happens all the time, even today. You're selling me something, Nate, and uh, say you're selling me a widget, and I say, you know, I'm your prospect, and I say, Nate, I'm having problem. I'm having uh, a problem with A, B, and C. And right away, instead of asking a good open-ended question, like, tell me more about that problem, Alan, you say, well, great, I have, a, I have a solution to fix that. I have this widget, it's green, it comes in three different colors, it does this, this, and this, and actually makes your bed and, and, and cleans your kitchen, and it does all of these things, how much, you know, and this is how much it is. So as soon as someone says their problem, the sales rep tries to sell immediately. Whereas what you need to do is keep asking questions, because the customer wants to be listened to and heard and understood before they want to be sold. I always tell my, 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 um, that the people that I train, the customer will give you permission to sell them. If you handle the conversation properly, you cannot sell them until they give you that permission. And you only get that permission when you ask 
the proper questions and they make they feel heard and understood. So I come to you or you come to me or whoever it is with the problem. Here's my mm -hmm. problem. And instead of the salesperson immediately going to the solution, what are some follow on questions that generally speaking that that you would recommend? I'm going to give you guys a, a, a something I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you one of my my patented not patented, but something that I teach all the time that's very helpful, and it's an acronym called TIDES, T-I-D-E-S, the word TIDES. I have literally, I'm pointing it to right now, it's right next to my, my monitor here. Every time I'm on a sales conversation, I look at it because TIDES reminds you to ask open-ended questions. So instead of selling and giving your solution, you tell me, um, you know, um, my my lawnmower doesn't work okay instead of saying well great i have a i have a better lawnmower for you I say well tell me more about that what happens when your lawnmower doesn't work and you get into a, a deeper oh you know what mo my my weed whacker doesn't work either you start uncovering things so tide stands for tell me more t stands for tell me more the i is in what ways so in what ways nate has that affected your ability to to, to take care of your yard the D stands for describe for me. Describe for me some of the frustrations you're feeling when you're halfway done with your lawn and the, and the lawnmower kicks out. The E is explain more about, and the S is say more about. They're sort of interchangeable. So tell me more in what ways, describe for me, explain more about, and say more about. If you ask those open-ended questions before you get to your solution, the customer is going to sit back and say, wow, this guy's really... This guy really cares about what's going on here. He's not just trying to sell me something. Mm. And then you're going to say at some point, all right, what do you got, Al? Now you give me permission to sell you. So establishing credibility, it sounds like, is absolutely key to any type of success in sales. You have to first establish, hey, I need to know more about your issue. And in learning more about your issue and me asking these open-ended questions allows me to get more knowledge, but also show that I, I have credibility. Isn't that what you're talking about? Yeah, that you're not there just for yourself. See, we've all talked to the salesperson where where you just get that feeling like this guy cares nothing about me. He thinks my problems are just like everyone else's problem because that's what he can solve. And he's not asking any specific questions. And We've all had those conversations. We, we, we have them every day. I actually go on sales calls just to hear what salespeople are doing these days, especially people that sell software and stuff. And they've actually never made it, had a sales conversation in person. They've done everything on Zoom and they don't know what they're doing. They just start to sell. They said, mm -hmm. let, let's, let's, um, let me show you my PowerPoint within five minutes of the conversation. You, you're going to, you're going to be a very low closer when you do that. But when you put the pen down and listen, and genuinely feel like I want to know what your issues are. And then that prospect feels like, wow, this guy really cares. You just elevate yourself above everybody else. You mentioned in person. I'm a firm believer that a handshake, a face-to-face -face meeting is absolutely critical to real, true, sustained success. Can you have your sales? Can you have your wins? Absolutely. But I believe without doing that, yes. But the you know meeting somebody in person even just one time changes mm -hmm. the entire outlook of what's to come and i know what you specialize in is one of your areas is in home sales yes so how do you first off explain what that means in home sales and then also please talk about how you're able to help these folks who might not be getting the face to face contact 
find success. So in home sales, I spent uh, I'm, I'm in been in sales about 27 years, uh, or it started about 27 years ago. And uh, the majority of my time was in home sales, I was selling, uh, I sold for Home Depot, I sold roofing, siding windows for Home Depot. I sold uh, sunrooms. My very first sales job was always I was selling. I'd have to go into a house and try to sell a forty thousand dollars sunroom in two hours. You know those types of you know, that that's not easy to do. Okay, um, let me just interrupt then, real real quick. Sure. So when you're talking in home sales, you actually are talking face to face interaction inside face -to -face people's interaction. homes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So that that is you know obviously that went away during COVID and then and then the world turned to Zoom because you know Zoom was out there prior to COVID, but no one was on it like we are today. Now everybody wants to get a, get on a Zoom call and, and it's almost become a crutch. Like, you know, you, you have someone in the next town over from you and you're trying to sell them. Don't hop on a Zoom call, meet at a coffee shop, you know, mm -hmm. get, get to them face to face. But so in-home sales, if you're selling B2C and you're meeting people in their homes, whether it's selling siding, roofing, windows, hot tubs, life insurance, whatever you're selling, if you're meeting the consumer, that's my wheelhouse. Doesn't mean I can't sell and help you sell B2B better or help you on a Zoom call better because I, I sell all the time on Zoom myself because I fly all over the, the country for, for training. But you need to, st the, the, the same concepts still apply. You have to make that prospect feel like you're listening to them and you understand them before you try to sell them, whether it's over a Zoom like we're doing right now or face to face. Face to face is always going to be better if you can if you if you can do it. But if you can't, you know, the the zoom there there are zoom things I train like you know keeping your hands uh, visible and and having a good background and little things like this that that some salespeople don't even think about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but the, the 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 core concepts are the same: asking, listening, and understanding before you sell. B to C, I would imagine. Pricing is even more sensitive than it is typically in B2B because you're selling to the person's personal checkbook. Correct. And you're hoping to get in return. So, and I know pricing is also something that you help your clients with because submitting proposals is not easy. Coming up with pricing is not easy. And sticker shock is, of course, what we're all trying to, uh, we're trying to avoid sticker shock with the client or customer but we're also trying to really make the money that we deserve to be paid. Yeah. So talk to us, uh, you know, business to consumer. How important is pricing? How do you come up with pricing? What are some of your pricing strategies in general? So this is a whole, it's one of my more popular topics to train. Uh, most people that ask me to speak, uh, want me to speak on pricing because it is probably one of the uh, top, issues that most sales reps have, whether it's B2C or B2B, presenting the price and preparing the customer for the price is what is what most reps struggle with. And when I say, I just did a, a, a an event called the Marketing Camp last weekend and I don't know, 200 people in the room and I said, who in the room has experienced the prospect getting sticker shock? And all 200 sales reps raised their hand, every single one. Well, why is that? Well, it's because you're not preparing the customer properly for the price. And you're not, when you get to time to present it, you're not presenting it the right way. Most reps, if I'm talking to you, Nate, and I'm selling you windows and I don't prepare you that the windows are going to be $30,000 and you think in your head they're going to be 10. And then I show you $30,000 as one price. Guess what? Thanks, Al. I'm going to think about it. Have a nice day. Mm. You're not going to sell it. But if I psychologically and ethically, but just tap into the way your brain works, prepare you that this could be $30,000. 
and then I have to happen to give you three choices of 18,000, 23,000 or, or 29,000. Now you're not only prepared for the price psychologically, you're like, all right, that's what I thought it was going to be. I'm going to choose this one because I want to work with you. So there, those are, that's a very, very high level, like flyover of, of what you can do. But pricing, you have to remember pricing is psychological. It's not done with an algorithm. It's not done for with a profit margin calculator. People buy things because it feels comfortable to buy them. And everything, you know, cost is relative. You know, you don't, nothing is expensive or cheap on its own. It has to be compared to something. So you have to use comparison. There's so many, I have, I have different pillars of, of pricing as well that I go over. But um, if you, if you think of pricing as an afterthought, as this is the last thing I'm not going to worry about, this is what, it, this is the price. Don't worry about it. You're not going to sell as much. Pricing has to be uh, considered as much as anything you do. So sticking on that, in that world of of business to consumer, yep. Alan comes in with his crew. He quotes me twenty thousand dollars for this deck, and company ABC over there quotes me fifteen thousand. How can you at your company then differentiate yourselves to say, "Hey, we're not the lowest price in town, but we're the best value"? What would you do? Well, that's going to be part of your conversation. And what's going to differentiate you usually is when you ask those questions. And see, sales is not, I, I always say sales is not a macro science. It's micro. All these little things will add up. Sales are made by little things, not big things. Um, asking the right question, making the customer feel heard, not talking about yourself right away, talking about them. Because most most contractors will come in and say, "Yep, I got the best. I got the best uh, installation crews. I got the best con- carpenters. I use the best wood. My dad started the business thirty years ago. It's fifteen thousand dollars. Big deal. Everyone says the same thing. Everyone has the best carpenters. Everyone has the best wood. It, it, it's all the same thing. But I come in and I ask you a lot of questions on why you want the deck and what you want it for, and how many people are you gonna going to be standing on the deck, and all these different things that are going. Huh? This guy's really listening to me." Now I can see why he's $20,000. But here's the thing. These other guys are giving giving you one price, Nate. They're saying, here's your deck. It's $15,431.16 because it was done with a calculator. And I say, here, Nate, here's three choices of a deck that you you can build. You can buy a regular lumber deck. You can buy one that has um, uh, uh, Trex decking but wood railing, or this one can be fully composite. There's your three choices. So now you now I, I I I listen to you. I ask these great questions, and now I'm giving you a choice on what deck you want, and not just one option. Who you, who are you going to usually go with? The expert, probably me. Expert. Yeah, right. the expert. So that's how you that that's, you mentioned. That's a funny thing. You mentioned the fifteen thousand four thirty one and sixteen cents, whatever the sixteen cents. I I got to tell you, man, that drives me crazy. We're in a whole different world: defense contracting and, and manufacturing. Right. And uh, whenever I see somebody with this big quote, you know, five hundred thousand dollars and then it, and it goes literally to in 16 cents. <laughs> to me, that makes you look so small when you're the salesperson. Just give a, a, a round number. Yeah. What's the psychology yeah. behind that? What do you think? Well, the, psycho- the, 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 the psychology behind it is there is no psychology behind it. They're just using a calculator to come up with the price. They're using their profit margin, their computer to come up with it, where what they should be doing. And again, B2B is a little different because this is not your 
checkbook it's it's someone else's however and 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 this may seem old school but the brain the way the brain works doesn't change and your pricing in nines and sevens even if you're in a service industry i don't say i can coach you for five thousand dollars i say my coaching package is 49.97 it feels better there are, there are, don't ignore studies. Like people like, oh, I don't believe in that. Well, you know what? It's like not believing on right on red. It's like, it, it works. The, the studies show it. The retail industry is the only industry that gets this right. You don't go into a store and see anything ending in zeros. They ends in nines and sevens all the time. Right. Well, take that psychological feel good. The brain loves nines and sevens. It just, it's been proven a million times and put it to your pricing. So this, this guy who had 500,000, and 16 cents should have said, okay, four, $499,000, $499,000 or something like that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the four looks a lot cheaper than the 500,000 and it's only three bucks. It's true. It yeah. looks like a hundred thousand less to the brain. Uh, I, I tell, especially in the cert coaching and people who do service stuff, like, you know, this woman I met uh, recently, she goes in and she organizes homes. She's like a home organizer person. She helps organize and her packages are $4,000. And I said, you know how fat that looks? The zeros look fat and heavy to the brain. If you went in and said, my package is $39.97, you'd sell more packages and it's only $3. Incredible it's stuff. Psychological. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then back to the the deck, the differentiator, the twenty thousand versus the fifteen thousand. Okay, so you've proven yourself as, hey, I'm I'm the expert uh, per se. Mm-hmm. How also uh, effective and important are referrals in those situations? Oh, enormous. That's where social proof comes in. And and it, there, there's another. <clears throat> if you're a local business and you don't think people look at Google reviews, you're you're living in the living in the past. People. Like I said, 94% of, of all purchases begin online and Google reviews are really the number one thing people look at before you come over the house. And that that difference of a 4.9 to a 4.7, the 4.9 is getting the first phone call when you're looking for someone to build your deck. Now, if you let's say three contractors came in and they all presented themselves just like a commodity, they, they didn't do anything, they didn't build any credibility they just said here we're, we're all that we're all we're all number one we're all the best and one's 20 one's 18 one's 15 but you as the homeowner looking at they all sound the same all their reviews are the same you're going to pick the cheapest price because now it's a commodity sale so get yourself out of selling as a commodity and you want to sell as 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 a value but but testimonials especially as a local business you have to use testimonials from other local um clients that you had if you go to a house a, a center hall colonial and you're going to say you know what i just did a deck on on three center hall colonials last month that's social proof that's like oh wow it doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day but the feeling that this guy has actually worked on center hall colonials i'm going to hire this guy especially when you get to roofing and windows and things like that now you want people who actually worked on your style home so use Can social you- proof and testimonials that are that are uh pertinent to that customer. Can you succeed as a salesperson if you lack good social awareness and emotional intelligence skills? It's hard, especially today. You need to learn, you need to read body language today. You need to really understand how the person, when you say something, how they're reacting to it uh, by reading their body language. 
Um, they, you know, one of the misconceptions out there is extroverts are better at sales because they're they like to talk and they're they're they they they're not intimidated. It's actually wrong. Introverts are better salespeople because they pay attention more. They're more empathetic. Extroverts usually talk over a person and they don't pay attention because they want to they, they want to hear themselves speak and they want to sell and they want to solve and everything. Where the introvert is much more empathetic, will sit back and listen. And introverts are much more successful salespeople, actually. That makes a lot of sense. I was in the sports agent industry after law school before I joined my family business. And uh, one of the things that we would do, of course, the, the way you make business is by going out and recruiting players. So we're recruiting college kids that are getting ready to go into the NFL draft. And we established this amazing rapport with these guys. You know, likable, trustworthy. It, it takes time. It takes multiple meetings with family and all these people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the cycle, this long recruiting cycle of six months, nine months, we feel great about ourselves. And then we get the call that we weren't the ones that they chose. We know they loved mm -hmm. us. We're in the final three. And one of the things I learned quickly was you can be likable. And you might feel like, hey, everything's lined up. But if you don't go in in certain sales situations with the aggression to close, you're going to fall short nine out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I understand what you're talking about. Ask the questions. Be empathetic. Establish credibility. Establish yourself. Once you've done all that, then how do you put your foot on that gas? What are some of the things you tell your guys? Now it's time to close. No, ask for the sale. It's it's amazing how many salespeople don't ask for the sale, but you don't have to say, okay, are you ready to buy this? It's just very simple. You know, when you when you keep things conversational, you can still get decisions. Like here here here's something that that I train almost every in home sale salesperson is after the price is on the table, the choices are on the table. Go outside, okay? Don't sit there and stare at them. That you, that's literally what they train when I have, you know, your granddaddy sales process. You'd sit there, show them the price and shut up. Yeah. The awkward the stare where you're standing there and, <laughs> and the yeah, guy's and going, like, get away from me. Yeah. Right. And, and then, and then I, I, th this, this expression has been in sales for, for decades and it drives me crazy. First person who speaks loses. Well, that's ridiculous. Like if the customer speaks that, that they want to buy, that, that means they lost or you speak and that means you lost the sale. No, that's not the proper way to think about this. Let them breathe. Here's the here are your choices, Nate. I'm going to go outside for a few minutes and check on an install. I'll be right back. And then when you walk back in, you just assume the sale. So which one do you want to go with, Nate? And then you're going to say, you know what? I love choice three. It's a no-brainer. Or you're going to say, I, I, I like the choices, but I have a couple more questions. And it opens up more conversation instead of just staring at you and giving building up all that anxiety. I've now walked outside. I pulled the pulled the pin on the pressure, and now you feel easier to do so. Things like that make it easier to close rather than just sitting there. I mean, I, I remember years ago. I don't know if you ever heard of Tom Hopkins. He was like one of the original granddaddy sales trainers. You know, three piece suit. He did all these seminars and everything. And I went to one of his seminars when I was really young, and he said, "Start the appointment." in the home with the contract and the pen on the table, <laughs> like, like walk in the door and put the contract on the table. Can you imagine doing that today? <laughs> I, That's what they no, would train. I could That's not, what they I could would not. train this crazy stuff. So you just want to make it conversational and comfortable, but at the end, ask, are you ready to move forward?
Absolutely. That, that's all you got to do. Don't, and, don't be afraid to do the ask. You need to do the ask if you want to close. Yeah, absolutely. You, you're not going to, they're not going to say it for you. Well, Sometimes that's, they will, what, that's what we learned. Job. That's what we learned in our, mm. when I was doing that in a consulting or a service business where you're representing somebody in negotiations and those things, you're trying to close the client. You have to ask. You have to tell yeah. them what, you're the best. Hey, listen, I'm not hanging up the phone with you. I know you're going to go make your talk to your family. You're going to choose somebody. And this is where we put our foot on the gas. And then we we started realizing we're being aggressive. Nobody else can compete with us. We're going to do the best job. We're not accepting no. You're going to call us back and you're going to tell us you're going with us. This is the type of energy we're going to bring to the negotiation table. And then we started closing a lot more. Yeah, And absolutely. it was all because we did the ask. So you're spot yeah. on. Yep, absolutely. Um, I want to talk briefly, too, about your book. You mentioned it uh, at the beginning, The Seven Secrets to Selling More by Selling Less. Yes. Talk to us briefly about the book, what it entails, who should be consuming it, et cetera. So it actually, uh, I wrote the book when I was selling Anderson Windows. The last 15 years of my sales life, uh, I sold very high-end renewal by Anderson Windows. They were a regular up and down, double hung window was about $2,500 when I left. Um. So big ticket, one call close, you know, average ticket was 25,000, something like that. And um, when I was, I I was their number one rep for, for many, many years, but I was sort of challenged by my boss. Like he, he told me once that what I did couldn't be trained. He said, oh, you're a field salesperson. Don't talk to the other reps. You're going to mess them up. And which was ludicrous because I was closing close to 70%. So I decided I'm a writer at heart. I decided I want to write a book about what I was doing. And then I started doing all the research and, you know, discovered I was, oh, I'm using this pillar of influence. I'm using this persuasion, you know, strategy. I'm, I'm using how the brain works here. And, and I really started honing my skills. And, and so the book will help anyone who sells anything. Um, the next book, uh, a follow-up, this is going to be niched down to the in-home selling industry specifically. Um, but anyone, you know, this, it's really about the psychology of sales. It's really what you can do from a psychology standpoint. This is how the brain works. This is, this is what I'm going to do in this situation. Um, and it'll help you sell more. Perfect. And we've linked that book in the show notes for anybody that wants to take a look and learn more about it. Click the link in the show notes. Uh, I know you also have a podcast. We talked about it before we went on and I think you're in a rebranding phase. Tell us about the podcast and what, what your plans are moving forward. Yeah. So the podcast is called Marketing and Sales Over Cocktails. And again, it plays off of the the conversational way you should be with your with your prospects. So this is a very conversation, just like your podcast is, Nate. Um, but what I'd always would share a cocktail with with my guests. We would do a virtual We should have done that today, Alan. We should have you know, done that today. It wasn't lunchtime I would do that with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did a 65 or so shows. It was great. It was great fun. Um, but I, I really wanted to... It, it, to me, it was there's so many sales podcasts out there now, and I didn't want to get um, just swallowed up by all the noise. So I'm going to niche niche that down to the in home selling industry as well. Where if you, if you sell in the home, if you're a contractor, you're an in home sales rep. Um, my new podcast, uh, which is going to be called Selling in the Dwelling, that's going to be the name of it, mm. um, will be niched down to because when I did the research and I talked to sales reps. They're like, there's no podcast that 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 talk to us. Like, I want to know how to sell more in the home. I want to know how to talk to consumers in their home. And everyone is always 
given the big flyover about sales, which is fine, but there's so many of them. They all sell this. They're, they're, a lot of them are saying the same thing. So I wanted to be take my seven secrets and be specific to the in-home sales rep. So that'll be coming out uh, probably within three or four months. Beautiful. Selling in the dwelling. Okay. I like that. Yeah, like pretty that's, catchy, That's right? fantastic. And then your website, allanger.com. We've linked this in the show notes. So anyone wants to learn more about you and your your business and, and all the things you're doing, you do speaking, you've got the podcast, yes. you're coaching. I mean, when, how do you have time for all this stuff? <laughs> you know what? I absolutely love it. I, I you know, selling, uh, when I was in my selling years, I mean, it was six days a week, usually three appointments a day. And and the book came out. I I, I wrote the book to write because I love to write. I, I didn't expect it to be my second, my next chapter. And and once it, I was able to take the book and get speaking engagements and then trainings and coaching, I said, you know what? This is this is my calling. I want I want to start helping people, and I love it. I just you know I I I don't feel like I'm working anymore. I, I'm helping people and um, doing podcasts and spreading the, spreading the word, changing the world of sales one rep at a time. So that's beautiful stuff. Well, I'm curious, what was the most difficult or challenging thing that you came across while writing your book? Um, the, I, I, I'll answer that with a piece of advice for people who are, want to write a book. You have to schedule time to do it. You, the book took forever to start because I didn't schedule it. I, I wrote I wrote the outline. I would start it on one weekend, then it would sit for three weeks, and I'd write another page, and it was like just fits and spurts. And then on January 3rd of 2018, I said, I am writing my book. And I called my boss, and I said, because we used to run 10 o'clock appointments every day, and I said, Paul, I'm no longer, I'm taking the, the entire, I'm taking every morning off for the rest of the year. I'm not running any 10, 10 o'clock appointments. And he passed out because he said, that's one third less the point revenue for you and meaning one third less revenue for the company. But I said, no, I'm writing my book. And I sat in a coffee shop where I live in East Greenwich, Rhode Island every day, six days a week. And I wrote my book. And five months later, it was done. Mm. So the biggest challenge that I think a lot of people face when writing a book is actually scheduling the time to do it. If you schedule it on your calendar and you write every day, you'll get your book done. If I actually don't. brought on, I brought on, that's great, great advice. I brought on somebody, Chandler Bolt, uh, we'll probably link it in the show notes as well. Uh, how to write a book, publishing, all those kind of things. There's these consultants that do this stuff. So yeah. anyone yeah. that's interested, I assume you may have worked with with somebody, but uh, uh, what was your experience overall? You enjoyed the, the process once you got going? I loved it. And, and the, you know, the process, the, the one decision I had to make was to, to either self-publish or, or, or go the traditional route and i actually got two offers from traditional smaller publishing houses but the uh the the deals were terrible like i, I think i was going to make like a dollar a book in royalties and they were going to sell it for 20 i'm like well that's not really fair i wrote the damn book and you're gonna give me a dollar right. so i said i'm gonna i'm gonna so i do dove into the self-publishing world and uh it became a bestseller as a self-published book so i decided mm -hmm. to publish it myself and sold over fifteen thousand copies of it and it still sells i still sell 100 books a month usually 50 to 100 books a month still today um so it's awesome and and unless someone comes along and wipe you know knocks me off my feet with a with a traditional publishing offer i'll probably self-publish the other book too because self-publishing now is so easy and um you don't most of these traditional publishers don't do anything for you anyway like they were going to give me a dollar a book but they weren't going to do it i was going to have to do all the marketing i was going to have to do all the work anyway so i'm like what's the point i might as well keep all the money when I sell the book and do the same work. So that's why I did it that way. Fantastic stuff. Uh, allanger.com, 
the book we've talked about the podcast uh selling in the dwelling i think you call it yeah uh, all, all these fantastic things you got going on i really appreciate connecting with you and, and wishing you a continued success all right nate i've been uh it's been a pleasure being on your show i've really enjoyed it